this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the 16th episode of Tales of Tamriel. I'm your host, Jelos, and with me this evening, we have Thais, she who jumps from cliffs right into the center of undead. How are you doing this evening, Thais? I'm doing pretty good. It was a gorgeous day today, so I'm feeling pretty peppy. Well... I mean, we're recording kind of early, and you're still feeling peppy? Well, I was trying to not mention that we were recording in the morning, so I was just rolling with it. Leave me alone. Okay. Um, it, we do not have Krabby with us this evening. He seems to have gotten himself eaten from an angry Wamasu, and we're waiting for that to, uh, to pass and get him back. Anyway... This week we had a little bit light on official news, but we do have a fun discussion topic in mind, so let's get into it. First off for game news, patch 1.07 was released. Um, The overview states that the Elder Scrolls Online version 1.0.7 features more fixes to quest issues and blockers, in addition to some fixes to back-end systems to improve overall game performance. Um... I went through and I uh, I found some pretty interesting notes that I wanted to highlight of things that they have fixed. First off, the Elder Scroll beacon effect will no longer vanish when the carrier uses the vampire ability Mistform. This kind of ties into the second one I found where you can no longer use the ability Bolt Escape while carrying an Elder Scroll. So take that, all you sorcerer vampires out there, and your OPness. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's who it's directed towards. All the all the sorcerers who seems to be everybody in the game. If you're a sorcerer, you're a vampire, and that's just how it goes. I'm not a vampire. You're not a cool sorcerer then. All the cool kids are going uh flame staff sork with a vampire. Yeah, my my Breton's just way too pretty to do that to her. I, I couldn't. There's there's just no way. She's too gorgeous. What, you don't like those little blue veins through your face? I am not particularly fond of that. No. It, it takes away from all the goodness in that area. Mmm, the moneymaker. Alright! They fixed an issue with the ability Bat Swarm, so it will no longer stack with itself. It will instead re- refresh if recast. Um, 
that was an ability that was causing us to wipe constantly. People being able to get multiple stacks of bat, uh, bat swarm up. Oh my goodness. PvP, that was a mess. VR10 people who still use that are still a little OP, I feel. But that should come down, especially when we get closer to VR10. <laughs> Alright. Now the important fixes. Reduce the cost of listing an item on the guild store. Reduce the amount of gold taxed on a sale of an item in the guild store. And significantly reduce the cost of COD mail. I might actually use the guild store now. <laughs> How about you? I've been consistently using the guild store already. So this to me is just like an icing on the cake type thing. Because I do. I'm in multiple trading guilds. So... I always have stuff listed. Right. And I, well, now you'll be able to make more money because, you know, the listing fee was pretty expensive before. It's like, I think it was a 10% listing fee of whatever you wanted, then 15% guild cut. So you, you lost a quarter of whatever it was that you were after. Um, I think the COD thing is the thing that I use because I, I tend to hawk my wares more than I use the guild store so you'll see me sitting in a city shouting to sell something but i'm also lazy and therefore i don't want to run to the people and i'll cod it but uh i think um what was it? i was selling a, a a motif book for about a thousand gold this is before everyone starts selling them for real cheap hopefully that uh that changes where the drop rates are going to be changed so now they'll go back up in price um but i went to send it to a person and the cod cost when i first put it on it said 10 10 gold I'm like, yeah, okay whatever as soon as i hit send the cod cost changed cost me 110 gold to ship a book so i lost like 11 percent of my my profit just by coding it so that was for one motif book it was 110 gold it was insane so, yeah, that is patch 1.07, and I'm glad they made those changes. Next up on news, they released an interactive map of Craglorn. If you haven't seen the interactive map already, it is a pretty neat little thing. You'll get to pull up the different zones, and they have these little, little I guess, pins that you can click on. It gives you a little bit of lore, sometimes a screenshot. Um... It's interesting if you want to see the lore, and now they've added one for Craglorn. So, I do recommend you go out and look at it if you if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Nothing super game breaking or amazing. It's really just lore stuff. So, now I'm a fan of lore, so don't don't take that the wrong way. I like the lore, but it, that's all that's on it. Next up, they've done another guild spotlight uh this time on a guild called well it's an acronym for m-o-r-t mort <sighs> this one actually was kind of interesting um it really didn't feel like a random one this time unlike last week they are a french gaming community they actually said they only have like 25 members and they didn't seem to really be after people but they're a multi-gaming type side i guess they're um they're active in daisy and and this game as well so if you're french or speak french or like to hang out with french people you should check them out maybe you'll like them 
All right. Next up on the news docket is ESO on consoles update. I'm not sure if everyone has seen this yet. I'm sure you did because the uh, news was pretty big on this. But we got finally some confirmation on the ESO release for consoles. They were originally sated for release in June of this year. But we got a letter today from game producer um, Matt Fyro. I think this is him writing all of this, saying that the console release is going to be pushed back by at least six months. What do you think about that, Denise? Oh, I'm totally okay with that because the PC is the master race. And if you play on the PC, you're not going to interact with those little console players anyway. So eh, it's just whatever. Yeah. This this is okay with me. <laughs> All right. At um, risking offending half of our listener base in one fell swoop, that's why she feeds on your tears. Um, to be honest, I didn't think it was uh, unexpected because they've been really tight-lipped about the release. They're like, June, June, and that's it. I mean, they released the official date months ahead for the PC release. This one's getting closer and closer, and they're like, eh, June, June. I can imagine a game like this will be really hard to switch over to the console, so I'm not surprised that it was pushed back. It just it just kind of sucks for all the people that do like to play on consoles. Not everyone has the means to acquire a gaming PC, and a console's cheaper. So it just... It does kind of suck that a lot of those players aren't going to be able to enjoy this game for half a year or so. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I I guess they were having some weird issues with connecting it, as they said, to the manufacturer's networks as well as some other weird platform issues. Um, The one upside of this is they're doing something special for console players. Anyone who purchases the game on PC prior to June will be able to when the P- or the console version release will be able to transfer their characters that they've been playing on the PC over to either the Xbox One or the PS4 consoles. I think it's for $20. They can switch it over. Now, they'll still have both games. They'll have the PC game and the, you know, the console account. It'll just switch their characters over for the twenty, and it, they'll also when you pay for the twenty dollars to switch, you're not even paying for the full price of the, of the console game, but you're also getting thirty days additional free game time. So that's another fourteen ninety nine that you would be paying anyway. So that that's actually really nice of them to do, and it's kind of interesting that they're going to take this route. I mean, if you think about it, the PC market for Skyrim was actually not the largest. The Xbox had the largest sales for Skyrim. I know, it's a little surprising, right? Okay. <laughs> she, I thought she was going to say something. She had nothing to say. She's just looking at me weird. All right. Uh, so, yeah, for all of all of you console players out there, going to be delayed by about six months but if you do have a pc that's able to play eso and and trust me eso plays while maybe not pretty 
it does play on some pretty low-end machines, like crazy low-end machines. We only have DSL to play on, and I don't know about you, but I play with the, the high graphics because I want my game to be pretty. And even with DSL and the high graphics, it still runs beautifully. I've never lagged, ever. Not once. Well, I've loaded it onto a laptop that I had at work that was a low-end. It was supposed to be a business model laptop, so no real good graphics cards, integrated graphics. It, it was really garbage. Game still booted up fine. You could play it. It wasn't super pretty, but you could play it. All this while you were supposed to be working, right? Hopefully my boss never does listen to our podcast or else I'm screwed. Because I write half my notes while I'm there too, so I, I don't know what they pay me for. Um, Moving on from that, Tiso Elite had a Q&A session with Greg Roth, the zone lead. And they're talking about Craglore and the Adventure Zone. There's a lot of Craglore news coming out in little spurts because of... Well, let's face it, Craglorn is the next update, and it's on the PTS right now, so it should be available very soon, which is really good, because I'm starting to hear a lot of people, not a lot, because we're still not, we're still not max level, but a lot of people are hitting that uh, veteran rank stuff, and are just losing drive to continue going with the veteran rank. Some people are actually veteran rank 10 and hanging out and have nothing to do. I think that the timing for Craglorn is about right. Like, it needs to be out for those higher-end people. And like they said, Craglorn, you can get into at VR1. So even the people who don't want to go through the questing can at least go in, get their butt handed to them, and maybe they'll have a little bit of drive to go do the veteran rank content because they want to do Craglorn, and Craglorn's handing, handing them their butts on a silver platter. Um, I'm not going to read the entire article, but I did highlight a few things that I thought were really neat. Um, that I thought were kind of new new information that we haven't heard a hundred times before. And Tiso Elite asks, how many trials are you aiming for in each adventure zone when they are released? Please, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you like to read the answer? Sure. The answer is, at Craglorn's release, there will be two trials. When Craglorn sees its first update, another will be added. There will also be trials that show up for other pieces of content that are not strictly adventure zones. So essentially, it's hard to give a concrete answer that will apply to the release of all future trials. But you shouldn't depend on adventure zones as the only source of trials. You know what I really thought was interesting here? The fact that they can put trials anywhere, like they even said, don't even don't you should depend on adventure zones being the only source of trials. So maybe later on they'll release trials in random zones. Like we were in uh, East March, we were walking around the one um, the one mountain range, and there was that Dwemer ruin that you couldn't really go into; it was sealed off, but. Um, I mean, right there, that could be a new dungeon, that could be a new adventure zone, whatever you want. They have places that are there in the world that uh, you can see from a distance but can't really get into. Another example, in East March, there's a 
what is it that fro- frost chill dungeon we did i can't remember what it was a public dungeon but above it is a is a dragon a dragon not a dragon mound a dragon uh burial shrine kind of like bleak falls barrel up on the hill you can see it but you can't get to it it's just kind of there in the distance so it'd be kind of neat if there's a way that later on we can get into that area so all right next up housing is very large aspect of role-playing games and is something one of the most commonly requested feature in mmos is there any developing development plans for housing in eso It's definitely on our radar. It's really easy to do housing badly, though. When it makes it in, it will be done right. I'm not going to say much about this because our discussion topic for today is actually us talking about housing. Because things that we want to see and how we think it would look in ESO. The last one that I highlighted that I, again, I really liked. Will there ever be... Are, will we ever be able to customize our character after they are created? For example, hairstyle, color, tattoos, or scars. It's certainly something we want to do. I'm excited because I don't like my hair anymore. I need a haircut. I'm excited because I wonder if they're going to put in, when they eventually do do this, if, if they do it, if we'll be able to see new things cuz you know sometimes games put in new hairstyles when they update and things like that not that there's really much they can do with the whole ESO lore or the ES lore can't have any crazy big hair sadly yes hair products have not been created yet so the anime style hair i doubt will ever appear in this game much to the disappointment of my wife and pretty much any girly girl who plays MMOs. Yes, I said that. I am so not a girly girl. What? You're getting beat later. And she just proved it. Alright, next up, Tamaril Foundry did a Craglorn interview as well with lead content designer Rich Lambert. They talk again. This is another one of those articles that talks about the the adventure zones themselves, and it's just a nice Q and A that we get to meet one of the developers. I didn't really see anything of super note in here, other than the Elder Scrolls question about pioneering its own unique slant on high high level group PVE, uh, because most MMOs it's either a raid dungeon or are no raid kind of thing. They're trying something a little different with how they're doing trials, making it an entire zone that's not really instance, but they instance parts of it. I I think it's going to be neat. It kind of reminds me of the old school raids from Dark Age of Camelot, EverQuest. Now, they were all open world, mind you, but you still had to fight through a really hard zone to get to where the boss was. And... uh same thing here, you can go in with 100 people, but once you get to the boss, it's going to cut you down. So that was about it. If you are interested in reading the entire interview, uh, you can head over to the Tamriel Foundry site and look for their Craglorn uh, interview with Rich Lambert. It, it's a good read. I do recommend it, even though I didn't really see anything new that I really wanted to highlight. Um, last on our news, they released another lore 
Masters Archive. Well, I guess this is their first one. It's one of those te- um, one of their community events, and they talk about the undead in Tamriel. I really like it. I'm not going to go over the entire thing just because this is kind of something that uh, Thais would read anyway. Because it looks like they just took um, different books that were written in game about the undead and showed it to us. But they kind of go over the different kinds of undead, such as they they differentiate the undead as the reanimated, you know, those who necromancers raise. The return, ghost and wraiths, inspectors, whatever whatever they are. And then they have the accursed, abominable, miss... Oh my goodness, I can't even read that word. Alright, we're going to avoid that one. But, yes, so that is... It's an interesting article if you're interested in the lore. Abominable miscegenations? Who even uses that word? It's weird. Anyway... It's an interesting read, but because we tend to read these kinds of things anyway during our dramatic reading and lore stuff, I'm not going to. But if you're interested in seeing the lore about the undead in Tamriel, you can head over to the official website and look at their Lore Masters archive. Alright, it is the Elder Scrolls discussion topic. And for this week, we're going to do something a little interesting, something that... I really enjoy, and I know uh, my wife, Thais, over here, she really enjoys this as well, but housing. Let us go over housing and what we would like to see. I'm going to start off first. Let's start off with this. First thing is, let's assume housing is done, okay? How do you want it to be presented in the terms of land? Like, um... Everyone, you know, you get houses. How would you prefer to see them do housing? Would you prefer it to be an instant zone? Would you prefer it to be, like, you know, how how do you envision housing in ESL? Like, in terms of landmass and how it'll be implemented. What I really enjoyed was Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn's version of the housing land where you went to a gate out on a zone that essentially had a section that was taken for housing. When you walked up to the gate, you picked, you know, what lot you wanted to go into, which had, I don't know, 20 houses or however many they want to fit. But the actual housing area wasn't just rows of houses. It was actually, it looked like a community in the way the houses were set up. So if it was some type of zoning into the housing area I think that that would work really really well but in saying that I don't know how they would implement it into ESO because there's there's no area in zones where they can kind of be like oh all of a sudden we save this land for houses it just doesn't really make sense to do it that way right see the the possible ways that I could see them doing it is this. This is from other games I've seen. There is the open world housing, wherein when people buy houses, like houses are either pre-placed and people can buy it and hold it. There's that that makes it a finite supply, only a couple people can do it. 
I, I think that would be kind of difficult. Especially since most of the houses in towns are already tied to quest in some way, so you can't even have people buy them um, later on unless, you know, there's a few houses that they could do that on um, through phasing. Because certain houses become empty after you finish quests. Second type of housing I've seen is the housing zone that you talk about. Whereas when you go in, like it's a zone of pre-done houses that you can then purchase and 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 go. Third is the um, predefined houses, which is similar to the first one, but they're predefined that anyone can buy them, kind of like an. It, Think Skyrim. Everyone goes into Bree's home, and as soon as, as soon as you walk in the door, it's your instance. Final Fantasy XI did this with their Mog housing. You walk through a gate, and all of a sudden, you were just in your room. So, uh, <laughs> the only problem with that is you couldn't invite people in, kind of stuff of that nature. I could see you being able to invite people in if they were in your party and you were the party leader. Kind of like how they were try they're trying to do with the phasing in the world. That would be one way they'd be able to do that. But that would be really cool because then you could pick a house in one. There could be one special house that you could buy in every city. So you could choose what city you want to be in. And that house that is yours. But Everyone can own one of these houses, but as soon as you walk through that gate, it's yours. That that would be that would be amazing because you'd be like right in the city. I I would love that. And the final one is the free roam housing where you can place houses anywhere. That I do I absolutely do not think will work with Elder Scrolls. That like other games that do that, Ultima Online did that. Um Arc Age is doing that, and I was actually just in the alpha of it, and I, I hate it, because I walked into an area that was zoned for housing, and it was a mess. Like, anyone just threw houses down wherever there was a free room. Like, they literally had their blueprint, it highlighted on the ground, like, can't place house here, can't place house here, can't, well, place house, right there, and it's it looks like an atrocious mess. It is terrible, I hate it. And not only that, but eventually land does get bought, because, uh, that happened in Ultima Online as well, um, because when I started playing, the game had already been out for years, so a lot of people had houses. I went and bought a deed for a house. I was so excited. It took me like six months to find a house that had degraded um, because the, the account went inactive, and I could place it there. Like You could tell the house was degrading, so I would camp that. I put a runestone down. I camped it every day waiting for the house to fall apart. So that I could build on it. Um, in my opinion, the easiest ways of doing this, I, while I like the idea of the single house that when you walk into the courtyard or in the house, it's yours. Um, I think that would probably be the easiest to implement. But at the same time, I I don't really care for it because then it's that house. I would prefer the housing zone. That you buy a plot of land, and then, again, you could use crafting materials for this, or, or purchasables, anything of that nature, and being able to build your own house. Because I would like to be able to build my own house based on um, the lore of the area. Like, I think you should be able to do a hearthstone kind of thing, 
But you go in, you buy a lot. And, oh, actually, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to cut off, but I don't want to rabbit trail off that because that's a different discussion. But um, yeah, the, I don't think the free housing will work. Like the placing houses anywhere because of lore, nor the the random houses out in the world that you could just buy into. I think their only option would be empty houses in the ta- in the cities that you could buy. Are they attach a housing zone like um, in Windhelm, for instance? Let's just say off to the east side, you could they could turn that into a housing zone where houses would be up. You would walk through a gate, and there would be a, like an open plain of plots that you could build houses. I would like to see that. Now, with that being said, um, how like I'm going to go over how I want housing to be done, and that's what I was just talking about was the being able to build your own house. Now, I would like them to lore lock it so that if you bought a house in Windhelm, only Nord style houses could be built. You know what I mean? I think it would be very out of place to see someone building a house that looked like a Dark Elf in a Nord zone, or an Argonian house in a Nord zone, you know, or even a Dagger, you know, a Breton-type house. That has a certain fitting to it that I don't think is there. So I would like to be able to, when you purchase a house, be able to purchase one in any city, because of course we can travel anywhere through the veteran ranks, being able to purchase a lot, inside this housing zone and again only make it 15 10 5 i don't care however many phases they want to make but make it so you could purchase a lot and make the lots more expensive based on you know if there's one that's sitting by the ocean make that one expensive you know and then there's one in the back whatever or however you want to do it put different lots and the price change based on the lot like where you want it to be you and um being able to do that, I think they should not make houses permanent, such as you should have to pay taxes to keep your house going. I hate the idea of people who've played, you know, who play ESO for a month, they get a house, and then they eat up that prime house and they never play again. You should lose your house, like maybe it get mailed back to you or something, but you should lose the lot when when it when it comes back to you what do you think i completely disagree with that but that's because i'm a poor gamer i i don't play the market i don't watch prices i hold on to everything it's really hard for me personally to make money so having to pay taxes or rent for a house to me is just an abomination i would not want that in any way, shape, or form, if I buy a house, I want that house to be mine. That is my house. I picked that plot. I built that house. I paid for the lot. It is my house. No one should be able to take it. Now, I don't think there should be an infinite number of these special zones, but there there should be a lot of them that anybody can own their house. Now, if you're not on for a couple months at a time, then with you said about the the degrading well let me let me put it like this with the let me talk to you about this and this is why i say taxes are good and by the way taxes generally in games aren't expensive um 
unless it was the bigger the house, like the more elaborate the plot, the more the taxes were. But generally for a standard house, like in um, Dark Age of Camelot, for instance, when you had to pay taxes, you had to pay taxes every week. But you could, there was a vendor who would sit in your house and say, hey, I'm here for your taxes. You could pay it up to a month in advance. Like you could put a month's worth of, of tax on it because every week you got charged. It was like 200 gold a week. And in that was now that's different from here. That was uh, 200 gold a week. When you were at max level, mobs were dropping 50 silver apiece. So you could get a gold every two mobs. So kill a thousand mobs in an area. And that's just for standard mob. That doesn't include loot that you've got. It, it wasn't hard to do. If you think about it, it was about 500 gold a, a week in WoW's gold as of the Panda expansion. So 500 gold was... I spent more than that on on raid food in a night than what was actually needed. So it was it was trivial, but it was meant to be there as a hey, they're paying up to keep their house going. Now, the more expensive houses like the mansion, the biggest house in Dark Age of Camelot was like two platinum, and that was again, that was a, a good chunk of change a week. That would have been like a hundred thousand gold every week or something, but that was meant to be a guild type house. So I I want to see taxes because that because here's here's the question with what you were saying by the way, oh, and you don't want to see taxes. Then what stops people from getting? You know, why would people want to buy the tiny house versus the big house? You know, what stops them from doing that? Like there needs to be a you know, a different, a different, or, you know, yeah, based on my status versus yours, you know, you're poor, you should have a, you should have a lean to, um, yes, I said it, you should have a lean to, whereas someone who makes money should be able to afford a bigger house as a, almost like a status symbol going, yeah, look at that, I can afford the mansion every, every so often. So... With Ag, with, with what Ag is saying right now, he's pretty much going to make me live in a shed while he has this gigantic matter. So if taxes ever come out, Thais is going to need a sugar daddy to pay for her taxes. Just uh, putting that out there. I was going to say, you know, you, you would just steal money from me like you do anyway. So, and I, I need I need to preface this with the whole she doesn't want to pay taxes. This is why I handle the money in our relationship, by the way, because otherwise we would have lost our house by now. Um, but yeah, I would like to see lots, and I would like to see lots be different. Like, you could build on them, but if you bought this lot right here, you could build a mansion-type thing on that. See, the way that I would work around that is make the different lots ranging in price. So make a smaller lot, and that's some people like the cottage type houses, the, the the small plots. And if they make it so that you can design your house, you you could probably make an adorable little college, college, um, cottage, and it would be you know it would be really cute. Or if you're an Argonian, you might not want this gigantic mud mansion. You might just want the little mud hut because you know I think they're adorable. But if you make it so that the plots range in price, that would be a way 
to stop people from just always picking the biggest lot. I, I, I'm fine with that. I think the different plots should be more expensive based on the type of house that you can build on it. The bigger plots for the bigger houses should be more. I still think taxes are required to make it so that... Because if it were an infinite amount of housing spots available, like that's a lot of... Um, hardware you know hardware usage to maintain these multiple phases i'm not saying that but i i don't agree with taxes but my idea would be close to what you were saying about the degradation of the houses if they don't sign on for a month their heart their house starts to man i am just all jumbled today with my words their house would start to diminish like it might look like it's not nearly as new. So in order to make sure your house always looks, you know, fantastic, you have to sign in. Because when you sign in, your house goes, oh, okay, you're here. All right, well, then I'm going to keep looking fantastic. But if you don't sign in, your house starts to degrade. And eventually, if you don't sign on for three months, six months, your house is like, I'm just going to fall into a pile of rubble. And there could be a pile of rubble sitting there and someone could go, oh, look, that person didn't sign in for a year. I'm going to take his spot. And that would be one way where you could avoid taxes. I still like taxes. I think they should be in the game because it housing should be something you need to work for. Buying the house, getting the house is great and all, but after you build it, it's like, what's the point of maintaining it? I think there should be the tax for maintain, but that's personal opinion, and it should make people go, do I really need the house or do I not want it? Is it important to me or not? If it's important to you, you'll farm the money to get to pay the taxes. And if they allow you to pay in advance, like I'll pay for three months right off the bat, and I won't have to worry about it again in three months, you know? Other games do that. I know Arcage does the tax thing that if you don't pay your taxes... It's due every week, and then when you go into default, you have two weeks to pay your taxes, and then your house can be destroyed. Um, in this game, I wouldn't say destroyed. It just needs to be gone, and someone else can buy your lot. And then I think the blueprints and everything are, should be shipped back to you. All the items you have in it should be shipped back to you in your mail or something like that. And then you could just go buy another plot when you come back to the game or decide you want housing again. See, to me, housing is a necessity. That's, that's how it feels to me. Well, then you would, if they said you had to pay taxes, you would go farm just for taxes. You know, you would actually play the game. You would go out and um, work on your... You got your alchemy up. Um, so you'd be hawking potions in, in, the, in Deshaun going, selling potions, I need to fund my house. But if it's important to you, you will do it. And it will, and it's a reason to play the game. I'd be more like that homeless couple under the bridge asking for donations. That that seems more like me. Yeah, yeah, you would. All right, so let's just assume housing is done. You can get housing. What would you like to be able to do with the housing? For me, I think housing should serve a purpose more than just you know. By default, I think when you buy a house, based on the lot that you buy, I don't even know, this would be my opinion, 
Um, let's just say there's so many things you can put in your house. Like by putting so many, like maybe there's a limit. If you buy a small house, you can put one chest in your house. That chest um, will allow you to store an extra 20 items. It'll essentially be a guild. It's an extension of the guild bank system. You know, I think it'd be neat to be able to see your entire bank from within your house, but putting that one chest in your house gives you an extra 20 slots in your bank. Now, the bigger houses, therefore, will allow you to put more of these special items in your house, like multiple chests. So if you buy the medium-sized house, you could put two chests and make it 40. The mansion, you could have up to three chests in your house and then make that 60. You know, like the big, the bigger you go, the more you can store. And I think only chess should be limited based on what you can put, but everything else you should be able to do. What about you? I think that sounds reasonable because I I definitely know that I need more storage space. (laughs) And I I think that when you're, are we talking about decorating the house? Yeah, actually, that's one of the things I want to talk about too. How, how do you... In Skyrim, when you were doing the housing, even the hearth fire, you just went to a workbench and you had the materials and it was placed in your house. Do you Would you rather see that? I don't think they should. I think they should allow you to almost play Sims because a lot of games are allowing that. A lot of new MMOs coming out, get you pretty much are playing the sims with where you can play stuff Arcage allows you to do that the new uh i think it's called black desert they they showed their housing uh the kickstarter game shroud of the avatar their housing system is i showed you the video the other night you could put you could put stuff on top of rugs and then you could move the rug as well as the barrel because then they became a, a linked object you could put cups on top of stuff it was amazing what you could do, what they were showing us in the uh, intro video. How w- What would you like to see? I don't think something that intricate would ever be in, this, be in this system because a game like that is being built with that already started. With ESO, housing is something that they're thinking about doing. So I, I have a feeling it won't be that intricate, which makes me sad. But I do think we should be able to decorate our houses. We should be able to put cups on tables, you know, the, the plates, things like that. Pictures on the wall. Like we should be able to decorate, choose what kind of beds we want. And I know that when I was playing Skyrim, I liked choosing what I wanted my house to look like on the outside. So I chose both the towers and I chose the storage room. On another one, I chose one tower and then the greenhouse. That that was really awesome to me but because you can't actually place books you don't collect books there'd be no reason to have the library tower which makes me sad I love that but you should be able to do that as well you should be able to choose what you want the outside of your house to look like but if they're doing it where depending on what zone you're in depends on whether it's Nord style or Argonian style things like that might make it a little more difficult but they've already said if they're going to do it they're going to do it right so they should give us those options I want them to be able to be that granular with house Uh, I'm not going to say whether or not they can start it or not I think they should build the housing system to allow us to you know put different items and stuff like that like the bookshelves 
I think based on the lore books we found, we should be able to put them on our shelves and stuff like that. So that way, as you go along, like if you've discovered it, you can choose to have it in your bookshelf. Like you open your bookshelf and, and have it, if they don't want to make it so it's visual, make your bookshelves have multiple appearances. Like all that is is a, a render skin going, if you don't have any books, your bookshelf's empty. If you've discovered a lot in your lore library, it looks a little bit more full. And then if you've discovered everything, it's a stuffed bookshelf. You know what I mean? All that is, that's a that's a that's a uh, um a texture pack that they could just change based on your character and how much money or how many books and stuff that you've collected. Um I would like to see that. I want to be able to move all my stuff in the house. I want to be able to free place my items in the house um and interact with them. Um like I said, the when you put a chest in your house, that should act as storage, but only add free slots. So I would like them to be able, like, if I open a uh, the chest, I should be able to store stuff in it. I should be able to store stuff in my in my different um, in, in like book stands. But then when you go in, have like a uh, I don't know, even a UI display when you're in your house, five of ten slots used. You know, so then you could put stuff in different locations and it just take up a slot. But then you have to go to your different areas to find it. The other thing that I would like to do, again, this would be based on the lot. Like, you should be able to free build your house based on whatever you want. But the lot space would be different. So, like, yeah, you like you said, the cottage, you could build a cottage. You could build a tower if you wanted to on a little, but it would be a limited spot. You should be able to buy land like I said, the slots, and based on that, it would allow you to do different stuff, such as if you buy the mansion, you can have a stable. You know, instead of having to go into the city and stable your horses, you can go to your big house, and it has a spot for a stable that you could build a stable and have all your houses. What I'd also really like to see is the ability to store your mini pets. Um in a special storage for your house. So when you went in, it, it, it could just be a menu interface where you could drag and drop your pets in there and they would wander around your house. I, I would love that. That would be so cool. That would be so awesome. Because we'd walk into our house and see like mud crabs, a lot of things just skittering by. That would be a great idea. Yeah, just have them be... Dark Age of Camelot did this with what they were called hook points where you could attach merchants and stuff like that. They should uh, have kind of like a hook point kind of thing where you could have NPCs in your house. So when you get a house, like a, a, a uh, the smallest level house was enough room for you and one person. So you could have an NPC in your house that you could purchase with money to do different stuff, whether you wanted him to be a banker, whether you wanted him to be a merchant your husband, wife, whatever the case may be. But the more, the more, the bigger your house was, the more people you could have in it, NPCs in your house. And whether or not you wanted one of those NPCs to be your pets, you could do that too. I would love to see that. The ability to do these hook points that when you went in, any NPCs you assigned to your house, whether they're your vanity pets, whether or not they're a merchant, would just be wandering around your house doing whatever it is that they do in a day. I think that would be amazing. Can I have an NPC who does nothing but rub my feet? That would that would be awesome. It'd probably be a Khajiit. 
they're slaves and they got furry little pads so um so i would like to see that and i would love to be like i said having the stable on top of that i would like the bigger land every landmass should allow you to have a type of farm if you will because i like the idea of being able to go in and gather and do stuff make it so that you know if you buy this one lot of land it comes with a mine that you could go into this little mine and nodes would spawn in there once every four hours or whatever it is so you could go in and farm those nodes you know what i mean or if you would rather be a farm so that you could farm you know the cooking materials you could do that are um uh uh, what are they called a a nursery so you could chop down trees and get wood for woodworking make it so that these nodes could be harvested every couple hours just like the uh the hirelings what that makes me think of is a greenhouse for alchemy reagents the plants and stuff there you go a greenhouse like you could choose to add something to your house or multiple things to your house based on what you bought like the bigger a lot of land could have all three a mine you know a uh, uh a nursery as well as a little garden then when you go in if you build it into your house you could have the greenhouse so you could grow alchemy mats and make it just like when skyrim was it was a couple in-game hours make it real life hours just like the hirelings when you go in and pick your alchemy mats you could plant plant the the seeds in in the pots and in four hours or however long because they already have the timer system in the game make it so you could go into your house and harvest them you know the way it sounds like you're saying is the the zone feature wouldn't work as well because they're they're going to try and place more plots in this zone what your way would sound better to work is if you had an instance area of the world that kind of like how WoW's Mr. Pandaria farm worked when you worked past a certain threshold it was your farm your plants were growing you know what I mean yeah well you could do that with the housing like you said the housing zone when you go into um, it's kind of like the Final Fantasy 11 thing um, we just did that in Windhelm when you go into it, it's underground but there's that doorway that you can open for the quest to go into the underground arena. There could be one of those in each town where you go through and it's a housing section and you could have multiple houses are a few. I prefer to have the multiple houses because it creates a community type stuff. You can go over and go, hey, look what they have. You know what I mean? But you're talking about having this plantation where you have this huge house and 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 all like the the garden and the mine and the trees to be able to incorporate that you wouldn't be able to have this zone with multiple houses you'd have to buy this huge chunk of land to have your plantation with your mansion in the center and then your stable so your way could work cuz I, I think it'd be a great idea but it would have to be somehow where if you're out in the world and this this circle area is where your plantation is and when you walk past the threshold there's your house with all your crazy amounts of stuff Uh, i think you're thinking different from what i am i'm not talking about a plantation so much skyrim's housing with hearth fire was 
I mean, you could build the house on the land, but then your farm plot was literally just a little section that you could walk into. You could still do that on even Final Fantasy's version of the plots, because they had the small plots, which were 14 by 14. You could still do that in, in the housing zone. And I'm not talking about huge um, huge plantations. Even like the, the, like the mine, if you will. It could literally be like Guild Wars 2, where when you walked into their, house, their home instance... Um, if you, if you got one of the special nodes, it was literally just a rock outcrop next to your house that you could mine every couple hours. Uh, it doesn't have to be like a huge mine. I think it would just be kind of neat if you, if you had a mining zone, um, you walk out back and three nodes spawned, you know, like just in this one area, you know what I mean? Like, and for the house or for the, the, the nursery, you could do that with two or three trees. You could plant the trees, they could be by your house, and then every couple hours you would have one of those fallen logs appear at the boughs that you could harvest. When it was gone, it was gone, and then in another four hours another log or branch would fall off and you could do that again. It, I think the idea, what you're thinking, I'm saying is a huge plantation. I'm literally talking like what most MMOs are, a potted plant that you can take an axe to. <laughs> but it would be enough that people would want to spend time in their housing. Housing would serve a purpose. Um, besides, you know, just storing stuff. And for RP reasons, like, you could farm materials and stuff like that. I mean, it would only be every couple hours, but you could do it. Yeah, I was thinking much more large-scale because it's ESO. Like, it's... So I'm thinking... It's like, you know, having workers and this huge farm. I'm just going to be quiet. The pack outlawed slavery, so I'm not allowed to do that anymore. So I have to be content with my one tree because I'm not going out there and doing it all myself. No, no, no. The pact outlawed Argonian slaves. But you can have slaves from other places. That's that's fine. Go go right ahead. Khajiits make great slaves. That's what I hear. Um... So, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking for housing. I want housing to be, I would prefer it to be a zone that when you went into it, it could be an instant zone of, like you said, 15 spots. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be a couple. Each spot costing more money, and I would prefer to have rent, but I know you probably, you don't like the rent idea. And what do you care? Even if you had rent, you just come to me for the money anyway the last time i did that what did you say no you can't have any of my money like what and then what? i gave it to you anyway oh that is true <laughs> yeah I, I like to put up a, a defensive front for at least a little while to make it seem like i'm in control but every guy who who's been married knows that it's all ju- it's it's a house of cards we try to look tough but in the end we'll just give in anyway so that is that's what I would like to see. I would like to be able to see a type of resource system on the houses so that way, you know, you could you could go and and uh farm things at your house every couple hours as a way of more you know, more more ways of getting items. So, I would love to see that. You want to summarize what you want for housing? All right, let's see. Uh I don't want rent. I think the houses should degrade over time if you're not there. I would... I will say that. That's one thing I do like. I think the houses should degrade 
over time, if you don't like, if you don't visit your house, it should like every time you log in your house and walk to your house, your house gets cleaned. If you literally don't log in for two weeks, your house starts to you know like see cobwebs and stuff. That's what I was saying. Like when you walked in, your house went. Oh look, you're here. I'm I'm gonna be pretty again. That's what I meant. See, all right, there's something we agree on there. And then you should be able to choose what you want it to look like. And it should be lore-friendly, depending on if there's multiple zones. You should be able to move any item in your house. I was going to say, with the lore-friendly, I think it needs to be lore-friendly. Um, if With all the areas that you can build in, it's one of those things that if you really just... If, if you want a Dark Elf house, move to a Dark Elf city. You know, you don't need to be in Windhelm and have a Dark Elf house. You know, if that's what you want, go to a Dark Elf City. I, I can't even remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah, you should be able to move all the items in your house, you know, stack them a little bit, you know, be able to put a cup somewhere if you want it. Yuna! <laughs> and um, make it so that different plots cost different amounts of money. You know, just, I know she, she's just driving me nuts. Our our one little Khajiit here refuses to leave my wife's lap, and as she's sitting here trying to talk, she's moving around on her lap trying to find the most comfortable position. It's hilarious to watch. Oh, okay, well, she's good there. Alright, we are going to move into the Tales of Tamriel. Since uh, we have no guests this week, it's us. So let's start off with the first thing first. Um, before we get into our tales, because we actually do have stuff this week that we, we've been adventuring in. Um, but before we get into that, so that I can give my spoilers so people don't get caught by caught by un, uh, by different spoils. Um, PvP event. We had a PvP event on Saturday. Do you want to say anything about the PvP event? It, it was... I, I was worried. I was worried. At, at first, we didn't have as many people as we had before. And we're running in there with, with eight guys. <laughs> just eight guys. And I'm thinking, oh, we're just... There's no way we're going to be able to win. But then, you know, over a little bit of time, more people joined us. And then we were running around with more. And we magically, somehow, wound up with this large group of people. So we just kind of melded with them and we were able we attacked a was it a keep i think it was a keep mm -hmm. chow chowman i think chowman chowman yes we went after chowman keep and it took it took us quite a while to take this keep because there was a group reese witherspoon who was a rank 10 veteran pvp -er, kept whooping all our butts so we kept dying, and we kept running back, and we kept dying, and we kept running back. Finally, because perseverance rules all, we were able to capture Chalman Keep, and then, awesomely, we were able to get Chalman Keep to be under the ownership of Wings of Fate, and we we had our first keep, and it was it was amazing. I was very happy. There's all kinds of screenshots. I think everyone took a screenshot. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. We did actually get to capture that keep. 
Um, and we started moving south because we, we started our offensive from Arya's Keep and took Chowman. We took that one right off the bat. And we started heading south. I think we took the Blue Road Keep. Followed by... We went down to St. Judas Outpost. And we started trying to attack Drake Low. Because when we started the map, I think we had two keeps. Um, Daggerfall Covenant had none. So that was it. The Dirty Elves had almost everything. Yeah, they did. And so we were able to actually push the offensive... And take back all of our home keeps, I think. Because I think we logged off right around 8 when they were taking out uh, Draclub, which would have been the last of our home keeps. What was interesting is, I'm I'm actually kind of curious, and I logged in today and I didn't look. I should have. I should have looked to see if we still owned. uh, Oh, we didn't? We don't have it anymore? Because I know Daggerfall started picking up later on that evening, and I saw them... uh, What was it they took? Is it Alessia for... Fort Alessia, which is right across the way from us. So I knew they were moving across. By the time I went to bed, the castle, the keep was already not ours. Riddle me this, though. I'm kind of curious. Dark Age of Camelot had a guild notification system. Were you notified when it was being attacked? No? Oh, darn. Because I remember in Dark Age of Camelot, whenever a keep that your guild owned was attacked, your guild chat got spam going, there are people attacking your keep! There are people attacking your keep! And I I really wish that was still there. I, I don't remember seeing anything, but I logged off for a little bit, and then I logged back on, and that's when I noticed that the keep wasn't ours, so for all I know, it could have. But the last time we owned something, we didn't get any kind of notification. But it wasn't a keep. It was a farm or something. Right. I do remember that. Um, yeah. So that was a fun little PvP event. I think we had a blast. All right. We are going to move into our actual story. And as as normal, I'm going to say, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, uh, we will try to keep them as little as possible. But... Just given the nature of our tales and stuff of that, if you really don't want to see any spoilers whatsoever, you can skip ahead to the next section, which should be, as I'm scrolling down through my notes, the dramatic reading. Um, There will be a timestamp on the information of the podcast, so just look for the different timestamps and you'll be able to skip the section. If you do not want to see any spoilers, do that from here on. All right, so... First thing we did is we got caught up because we did a little bit of lore book collecting in Shadowfen and finished all the lore books in the area. Because uh, during the week that the East was not here, I was not allowed to level at all under pain of death. And as such, I did a lot of farming. And during my farming of materials like metal and stuff of that nature, I think actually, you know what, was kind of interesting statistic. Uh, I did a count of all the Orichalcum I had farmed within that week and the first couple days when you were back. I had over 900 ingots of Orichalcum ore. It was our bars. It was insane. So, we went back through Shadowfin because I took screenshots of all the lore books. I didn't read them until she was here. That's that's how dedicated I was. And we went through and... Um, 
picked up all those books. So after we finished that, we decided we were heading back to Windhelm and we're going to begin our adventures there. So we talked to everyone, went throughout the city. And I got to tell you, the city's hilarious because of all the drunk people going on because of the uh, event. Um, I, I think I heard one of them. I forget. It was an Argoni. I think I was, I was riding by and all of a sudden I hear this Argoni and go, is it true that all Nords have large dot 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 and like i like stopped where i was running because her voice cut off i had no idea what she said i ran back and i'm sitting there for like 15 minutes waiting for her to say it again she never said it again i was very disappointed but it, it i have a feeling it was probably pretty dirty so the first thing we did on our adventure in east march was we tackled the hall of the dead public dungeon ace what do you, what do you think about that Oh my gosh, it was so hard. <laughs> I know I died four or five times. I know that Ag died a couple times. There there were other people there, but the groups of mobs in the dungeon, they were always in groups of five or more. They were just large groups of skeletons and if you pulled this group and just so happened that someone else was coming from another way, they pulled a group of six, and now we have a group of, you know, 11, and I'm dying, and he's dying, the other guy's dying, everyone's dying except for the mobs that we're trying to fight. It was so difficult. I actually do have a note on here that the Hall of Dead was really difficult, even being overleveled. The mobs in there were, I think, 31, 32. We went in at level 38 and was still getting our bum handed to us and actually that's where your introduction came from because remember when we finished the dungeon like because you're 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 searching it and um the the main story is like why are you trying to find out why all these undead are are risen like they're all these draugr are just they're running rampant um and you find a lady who's saying that there was an ancient necromancer who was buried in in this in this tone or in tune so we go and we try to attack him and we steal his crown um and we have to summon his dead body we manage to kill his spirit or kill his body or his reanimated form and his real essence is contained within this crown she wants us to give it to her we decide we're not going to, and it turns out that she really wants this to become like a really powerful necromancer. So we had to kill her off, and that was where, when we got to the end of it, because it was, you got up to, I guess, the owner of the tomb, because each one of these tombs, like whoever the most important person is, gets buried up at the top platform, but you jumped off that platform at the end. That's right! I was trying to find you, and you were over north somewhere, and I'm running in circles. Like, alright, I'm just gonna dive off the, the edge here. And I dove off in the middle of two groups of undead. So I pulled, I don't know, 13 all at once, and then I died nearly instantly. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things that I had been working on. Like, because I had kind of like straddled the wall if you will and i was hopping down the wall so i was already halfway up the steps and you were like where are you at and you looked on the map and you saw my little chevron little mark 
and decided you were just going to jump off the edge and land it right in the center of all these undead. It was crazy. I think we died. I think we did. So, after doing that, we left and decided we're going to continue to work with Mara Stormcloak to help track down a murderer. What was really interesting is pretty much within like 10 minutes, we were named champion of Windhelm and given the authority to do whatever was needed to take out the threat. It's like, lady, you barely know me and you're pretty much giving me a 007 license to kill here. It it was interesting. So she has this track down like all these different events within the city because there's the King's Festival going on. And there's notes of uh, sabotage. The the Conan liker, I think, is what it's called. I I, I like the uh, the Nord emissary because what was it, the Cooney liquor or something that he called it? Because he was drunk. He was drunk, and uh, he's meeting the pack dignitaries. And he's how did he say? He's like, you can answer to him. Are you drunk? He's like, no, I'm not drunk. I just had one drink. This isn't my fault the bottle was so small. So he drank the whole bottle instead of just one little drink. And as he's muttering, he's like, man, I love the cone, cone, the conan liquor or the conan liquor. And he's just so drunk and stumbling around. And we're just, it was awesome. The, the entire festival going on in Windhelm is amazing with all the drunk people just wandering around the city indeed well we actually find out that all the all the stuff that's going on within the city is all tied to a group called the storm fist the storm fist were i guess a clan that hadn't been seen in like 10 years since yorin um took the throne and pretty much exiled his brother Fildgore. I guess Filgore is back and is trying to usurp the throne because he wanted to uh, wanted to be king, but he wasn't a very good king. So they're causing all sorts of problems. So we decide we're going to start tracking them down throughout East March. Now, as we're exploring throughout East March, one of the things that we had to do is we found a small, I guess it was a small fishing village. And it was overrun with giants and wolves. Do you remember this one? Yeah. I do. I do. The loggers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the one with the militia. When we went to collect the pickled fish. That's right. funny. Because we go to the guy with the pickled fish, and, and your character says something like, I can't believe people eat this. And, and the NPC goes, well... No one really likes the way they taste. It's more or less just a, t- a tradition to have them there. Although, with how bad they smell, they'd probably keep people away than pe- pull people in. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But um, the giants had started attacking this town, and you had to find out why. Yeah, you know why. No, I'm going to let you talk about it. Go ahead. It was really just super gross where we're going around this this little village and the girl says you know one of the main women goes you know i really need you to talk to my brother he's the leader of the militia he's trying to gather all his little soldiers together to to kind of push back these wolves and these giants we're like okay well that's that's fine so then we go talk to this guy and he's saying that 
you know, he's all rough and hardy and his soldiers are amazing, but he can't find one of his soldiers. He's, he's, he's not sure why. And he sent this soldier to go collect his special rations because his militia never does anything without eating these rations first. It's just tradition for these people. So I'm like, all right, you know, I'll go find this guy. I'll see if I can find your rations, whatever. So I'm running around and I'm picking up, I'm picking up bags. You know, I see a bag there and I'm picking it up and I travel a little bit further. Meanwhile, I'm getting attacked by giants and wolves all around. And I go into this little house and there's this guy cowering. And I talk to him. It turns out he's the missing soldier. But he starts saying some crazy stuff. He's talking about how the leader of this militia just hasn't been right for a while. And the rations that he's feeding everyone, there's, there's something strange about it. So I keep pressuring him. I'm trying to get him to tell us what's really on his mind. What does he think is really going on here? And as, as he's talking, he's like... I mean, he's just, he's, I don't know where the rations really came from, and I don't know why he's doing this, and he seems so unstable, and I'm, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. So finally he says, well, I think I know why the giants are attacking. And that's, you know, I asked the final question, okay, why do you think that? And he goes, that's because the leader of our militia is making us eat giant meat. And to me, that's close enough to cannibalism to make me go, oh, that was just so gross. And I know if I was actually my character, I probably would have turned and threw up right there on the guy's shoes. And he's like, yeah, I, I don't know how long it's been going on, but that's why I'm hiding here. I don't want to bring the rations to the people. And now you're left with, you know, this choice. Like, what do you... What are you supposed to do now? You would think, like, my goodness, with how much cannibalism is going on, there's not a lot of food in all of Tamriel, because it's like, man, everyone's resorting to eating other people, so, my goodness, someone needs to open up a McDonald's or something. Which would probably just be giant burgers or something. Could you imagine that? The Whopper would just be like a giant burger. Because, you know, the- in my head, the burger that I imagined was like one foot, like just this gigantic burger. It's like Skyrim eating the giant's toes. It's like, oh, oh, oh. That was one thing when you had to taste everything to try and to find out the uh, alchemical properties. It's just one thing you're sitting there going, just just do it. Just do it. All right. Oh, oh, not that toe. He's got some serious. It feels like the Lamisil monsters here eating that thing. Let's find a different one. Well, we theorize the giants are about 23 foot tall when they're standing next to the character. That's what we theorize. So you would imagine the giant's toe is actually about this big, maybe? No? It would be about the size of your hand. About the size of my hand, you yeah. think? Yeah, that's, that's way too... No, I wouldn't. Tasty, tasty. So, <sighs> we helped those guys out. And I'm not going to tell the end of the story there, but you're you're trying to save the giants by the end of this. The next thing we decide to do is we have to go collect the mead for the Conan liquor, as the guy says. 
and we go over to the one meadery and i i have a note here going so an entire family was killed but who doesn't love mead like the the um the storm fists and stuff under direction of Filgor Orkvane, the king's exiled brother, pretty much came in and killed everybody who owned the meadery. So we find the guy, and he wants to help us rebuild, and all they're talking about is rebuilding this entire meadery, and I'm sitting here going, so, forget the fact that all these people were just killed like ten minutes ago, but your primary thing is making sure we get meat out, right? The guy's wife's family is the one who owned the meadery. So this guy's wife is... Oh, I get it. It was it was in-laws. Oh, I can understand why it took him like three minutes to get over it then. I mean, that makes sense now that I realize it. My mother is awesome. Thank you very much. Five minutes. I'm done. <laughs> Now, now I, I didn't realize it was, like, his in-laws. It's kind of funny that it took him so little time to get over it. But you would think he might mourn a little bit for his wife. But it was nothing like that. It was just all, oh, they're dead, but it's, I gotta keep the tradition going for, I don't know. I mean, even, even like, modern times, it's like, you know... Going into real world, like World Trade Center went down, I'm pretty sure they kind of like the next day at least they kind of were like, okay, we could, you know, we can wait, you know, just out of respect. But no, it's kind of like, okay, let's get this back up and running right off the bat. It's like, wow, really? The blood was still dripping off of his hands from trying to save his wife, and he's going, time to rebuild. Time, it's just, it's time, it's, we gotta rebuild. Well, you know, alcohol is, uh, a way of coping, I guess, so... Meat it is. So, yeah, so you have to do a bunch of quests to try to help, you know, push the Storm Fist out of the area, but I just thought it was so funny that everyone was killed, and within, like, five minutes, he just wants to rebuild. Not only that, but as we're doing this quest, the, the, the one guy we talked to, who it was his wife's family, well, he calls in all of his brothers to help him rebuild. So in this ten-minute span, his wife... His entire wife's family is all dead, and he calls in all of his twin brothers. Because you talk to the one guy whose twin is over here, you talk to the other guy whose twin's over here, and, you know, the, the, the fourth guy or fifth guy is saying that his brother's over there. But all of them are talking about each other. Like, this one is this way, and then this one's real cranky, but this one really loves to hunt, but he can't stand fishing. And they all have, like, these weird names that are similar and... It, it was just, even though it was devastating because all these people died, it was still a fun quest because of what they had you doing and who you were talking to to finish all this. I, I really enjoyed that quest. <laughs> I, I, I do remember, like, everyone is, like, related. It was hilarious. So... The last thing I have marked down here is we decide we're heading south, and I, I know we did a lot more than this, but I really don't want to touch too much on following the the Stormfist, because that's kind of like the story of the area. You have to go liberate a keep and things of that nature. Now, we do help another set of giants protect, um, uh, like, retake a fort, and that was kind of neat, because one of the giants, as you're sitting there, you, you talk to this one lady, and she goes... Well, all right, we're prepared to enter the fort, all right? So what I need you to do is to go in there and open the gate. 
Now, see that giant standing back there? Just just go back there and uh, poke him. He'll know what to do. So you go back there. You talk to the giant, and the, the text goes, giant stares at you, and your only option is to say, you know, poke it or, or say goodbye. So you poke it, and the giant kicks you over the wall, and you go flying and landing in a lake. That was funny. That was really funny. Um, but then a lot of it takes you all the way down to Fort Amal to progress the story of finding out why the why the king is there and is after the uh, the Stormfist. And that's where we're currently at. But one of the smaller quests throughout the area that I thought was kind of interesting is we are finding we visited a place called Kynes Grove. And within Kynes Grove, it was meant to be a shrine to the goddess Kine or Kinnereth. Okay, you good there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do not disturb as your friend. So, Kinnereth, you would go there and receive a blessing because the Nords see Kine as a warrior goddess. And the the cyrodelic pantheon she's a little bit more subdued kind of like the uh the, the goddess of nature but in, in the nord lore she is the storm queen kind of thing so all the nords who go off the battle go and pray at her shrine for a blessing but when you find the people at the shrine there's something wrong people are like my regiment went to the shrine to pray and have not been back what you know, and I can't leave my post to go find them, so we have to go and find them. When we get there, we find all these Daedric witches are essentially brainwashing all the soldiers. So you see all these people in the shrine, and all of them are crazy. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there were a lot of people who were just dead. And then you go up to the one inn because the way that the shrine was set up is any travelers were allowed to stay at the shrine either in like the keeper's house or the traveler's house it it didn't matter but you go into this little house and you find this group of soldiers who were like we don't know where any of the keepers are but when we got here the keepers were looking at us like we were trespassers and then they just you know poof they're we don't know where they went and they're making our people sick. We have a guy over in this bed just dying. We don't even know why. So uh, these soldiers are just freaked out because they have no idea what's going on because it just all of a sudden happened and everyone went nuts. Right. Now what we actually had found out was that we had to go and rescue the keepers from these witches only to find out that the lead keeper went insane because both of her children went off the war. She prayed to kind that they'd be protected. They both died or so she thought. Um, and what was really funny is if you talk to everyone in the town in Windhelm, you actually find her son who was a soldier. He survived. He kind of, I don't want to say lost his mind, but grief overtook when he couldn't save his brother and became a mercenary. And then now he does all he does is drinks himself to death. Um, you find out you try to convince him to come help his mother because his mother thinks they're all dead and she's causing all the other all the other keepers to pretty much hate kind. They start res- resorting to Daedric worship. Um, 
but yeah, you have to go and rescue all these different people. And it that is a definitely a fun quest. And I recommend everyone going and, and doing that one because it is really neat as you go through it. There's a lot of twists and turns as you go all the way through. So that ends our tales. But one thing I forgot to do before we started this, we forgot to talk about our characters and what we've been doing with them. Um, what what level are you at? Have you done anything different with your character? I am level 40, and I actually haven't done anything different, except for maybe my, my resto staff. I started... I have Pookie, my winged twilight. I hate Pookie. <laughs> so Pookie is always on my bar, no matter what, because I love that winged twilight. I think mostly because Pookie just annoys Egg, but I love that winged twilight. <laughs> It's because she keeps singing. I keep hearing this creepy little voice singing these little songs, and it drives me nuts. So, yes, I always have Pookie with me. And then I have my bound armor, which I have to keep reminding myself to equip my... but to toggle on my bound armor. Because I keep forgetting, and then I just, you know, I die all the time. The only thing that I've really done differently is that I had a whole bunch of skill points saved up, and I used... I don't know, 15 skill points? I think it was that much that I started putting skill points in almost all of my crafting professions. I am maxed provisioning and maxed alchemy. And I think I have my woodworking, my blacksmithing, my tailoring, and my alchemy all the way up at level 6. So I started putting just a lot of points in my crafting because I... I love the crafting. I really do. So that's where a lot of my points have went recently. Right. Actually, I've, I've redid my build, and the way I'm making my main character, my Templar, he's going to be a max crafter, and I re-put a lot more points into everything. Um, and I actually got my third research. On, I, I'm high enough for my third research on everything except for woodworking. Like I'm up there high enough, but I'm out of skill points. So I'm sitting here going, I just need another skill point so that way I can get my third research going. Um, Cause my researches are definitely going pretty good. And my wife's scowling at me at the moment. I think she's mad at me. I don't know why. Anyway, um, I did switch my bar up a little bit. Um, I morphed, my uh what is it it's uh it's uh piercing jabs now i I morphed that skill and i've been playing with that as well as i morphed the sun strike and made it vampires bane to add a dot to it that's been working out really well for me and i've been trying to level my bow um to get that up as well as i pretty much ditched all my heavy armor because i was all heavy armor before but my heavy armor is almost like level 42 or something like that. Whereas my light armor and my medium armor were not leveling as fast. They were in their low 20s. So what I did was I recreated... I am I think I'm wearing one heavy armor now. And I'm wearing three light armor and three uh, medium armor. All with training gems on them. So that they can level up. And that's what I've been doing now. I've been leveling my bow as well as my my uh, medium and, and light armor. So pretty much what my second build is going to be. I'm going to be a two-handed greatsword. And for my ranged option, I, I've settled on the bow. So I've been leveling that up so I can use that. 
Um, but yeah, that's what I've been working on as of right now. So that ends our tales section for this week. We're going to move on to uh, our next section, dramatic reading. This week, uh, we'll be continuing the series of books from within the Elder Scrolls Online game itself. Uh, last week, we decided to do the series. Um, we decided to do these in a series, as finding lore books in game, they are often bound within a set. The first set of lore books from the Mages Guild that we've decided to read from is called the Daedric Princes. This is an eight-part series containing the books Adra and Daedra, Boethius Proving, Invocation of Azura, Modern Heretics, The Dream Stride, The House of Troubles, The Totems of Hercene, Fragmenta, Abyssium, Hermaeus, Morris. Oh my goodness. I, I said I wasn't going to read these last week, and I, and I did. Go ahead. You're going to read this book. Opusculus Lame Balta Mesomorti. Mesomorti. And the spawn of Molek Ball. This is the second part of our eight-part series. And the book for this week is Invocation of Azura. So Thais, take it away. The author of Invocation of Azura is... Sigala Parate. Ooh, that one was actually difficult. For 300 years, I have been a priestess of Azura, the Daedric Princess of Moonshadow, Mother of the Rose, and Queen of the Night Sky. Every Hagathum, which we celebrate on the 21st of First Seed, we summon her for guidance, as well as to offer things of worth and beauty to Her Majesty. She is a cruel but wise mistress. We do not invoke her on any Hagathum troubled by thunderstorms, for those knights belong to the Mad One, Sheagorath, even if they do coincide with the occasion. Azura, at such times, understands our caution. Azura's invocation is a very personal one. I have been priestess to three other Daedric princes, but Azura values the quality of her worshippers and the truth behind our adoration of her. When I was a dark elven maid of sixteen, I joined my grandmother's coven, worshippers of Moleg Ball, the schemer princess. Blackmail, extortion, and bribery are as much the weapons of the witches of Moleg Ball as is dark magic. The invocation of Moleg Ball is held on the 20th of evening star, except during stormy weather. This ceremony is seldom missed, but Moleg Ball often appears to her cultists in mortal guise on other dates. When my grandmother died in an attempt to poison the air of Firewatch, I re-examined my faith in the cult. My brother was a wizard of the cult of Boethia, and from what he told me, the dark warrior was closer to my spirit than the treacherous Moleg Ball. Boethia is a warrior princess who acts more overtly than any other Daedroth. After years of skulking and scheming, it felt good to perform acts for a mistress which had direct, immediate consequences. Besides, I liked it that Boethia was a Daedra of the Dark Elves. Our cult would summon her on the day we called the Gauntlet, the second of sun's dusk. Bloody competitions would be held in her honor, and the duels and battles would continue until nine cultists were killed at the hands of other cultists. Boethia cared little for her cultists, she only cared for our blood. I do think I saw her smile when I accidentally slew my brother in a sparring session. My horror, I think, greatly pleased her. I left the cult soon after that. Boethia was too impersonal for me, too cold. 
I wanted a mistress of greater depth. For the next 18 years of my life, I worshipped no one. Instead, I read and researched. It was in an old and profane tone that I came upon the name of Nocturnal. Nocturnal the Night Mistress. Nocturnal the Unfathomable. As the book prescribed, I called to her on her holy day, the third of hearthfire. At last, I had found the personal mistress I had so long desired. I strove to understand her labyrinthine philosophy, the source of her mysterious pain. Everything about her was dark and shrouded, even the way she spoke and the acts she required of me. It took years for me to understand the simple fact that I could never understand Nocturnal. Her mystery was as essential to her savagery was to Boethia, or treachery was to Molek Ball. To understand Nocturnal is to negate her, to pull back the curtains cloaking her realm of darkness. As much as I loved her, I recognized the futility of unraveling her enigmas. I turned instead to her sister, Azura. Azura is the only danger princess I have ever worshipped who seems to care about her followers. Molag Ball wanted my mind, Boethia wanted my arms, and Nocturnal perhaps my curiosity. Azura wants all of that, and our love above all. Not our abject slavering, but our honest, honest and genuine caring in all its forms. It is important to her that our emotions be engaged in her worship, and our love must also be directed inward. If we love her and hate ourselves, she feels our pain. I will, for all time, have no other mistress. So, Azura. I, I know you like her. She's one of the Daedric uh, princes that you like. Um, yeah, she really is about the only one that actually cares about her followers. Because if in Skyrim they go and build a giant statue to her, she leads the people away from Morrowind before Varenfall erupted. So she actually does seem to care about her uh, about her followers. The other, I I, I like Nocturnal too. I, there's only there's only three Daedra that I would if I was living in the Elder Scrolls universe. There's only three that I would openly worship, and that's Meridia, Azura, and Nocturnal. They are my three favorite Daedra, just of all time. But Azura is definitely at the top, maybe. I think. I like Sheogorath. I love Sheogorath. Like, he just fascinates me so much. But I couldn't actually worship Sheogorath. I'd want to sit down and drink some mead with him and just engulf myself in his madness. But I wouldn't want to worship him. I, I, I don't see that having anything good come from it. No. Uh, the only danger I really would say that I would worship would be um, Meridia. But even... Even that, she's still Daedra. I like the Aedra myself, so. Stendar and, 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 uh, actually, I like, yeah, Stendar is probably one of my favorites, as well as Kine, of course, Kinnereth. So, alright, we're gonna move on to our emails section. Now, we, we had a small amount of, of emails and stuff for this week, but we did have one five star review from Ross RAF. Um, great stuff as always. Keep up the good work. And this was from our UK friends, so I'm assuming RAF is Royal Air Force, so awesome. <laughs> Moving on, uh, we did have one other 
thing we wanted to mention again. And uh, I'm going to let Thais go off on this one real quick. So because we read a poem last week that was from, let's see here, Nigel from the UK. And we mentioned him on the podcast. He was very flattered and decided to write us another poem. And here is Nigel's second poem. I I love his poems, by the way. They just, they crack me up. It's time to put the record straight to address the flow of review hate that's aimed towards this ESO game and restore its well-deserved acclaim. What comes to mind when reviews get hot, saying this isn't good, but compared to what? This game does things much better than most. Not many MMOs can make that boast. First, they say the game's generic. It's not. It's completely atmospheric. Steeped in lore of Elder Scrolls, no deeper story has been told. Next, they say the graphics are flat. It's not the case. I take issue with that. So I'll make it clear why they're wrong. And perhaps they'll sing a different song. For a start, we have the Aldmari Dominion, such a beautiful region, in my opinion, vermilion trees and soaring towers, engulfed in color from summer flowers. Then we have the Ebon Heart Pact, a volcano erupts through crust that's cracked, mushrooms tower over purple trees, nothing flat or generic about any of these. The lighting alone is far and away, the best in any MMO today. God rays beam through golden haze, painting scenes that take my breath away. The music and sound are just sublime, to stop and listen from time to time. You're immersed in a world of sights and sounds, from a forest chorus to snow on the ground. But the question no one seems to ask is, did Zenimax succeed in their task? Merging MMO with Elder Scrolls lore? The answer is yes, with more in store. Critics have problems with subscription fees. Even regular content will not appease. How do you think these games are made? Talented people have to be paid. So I just don't agree with the things they're saying. This game's amazing. What game are they playing? Do they struggle to find a game that works? Or are they just a bunch of silly people? (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely adore these poems. They are fantastic. So thank you, Nigel, for writing us another one. That was great. That one was so much fun to read. So I want to say thank you as well. It was fantastic. All right. Now it's my least favorite time of the show. It's time to give our final thoughts and let people know where they can follow us. So, Thais, tell us your final thoughts for this episode. My final thoughts are, like last week, I'm still reeling over the poem. It was, it was so much fun. <laughs> I, I enjoy reading poems. If you write any more, I will keep reading them, I, I promise. Uh, the, the show was great. I, I liked the discussion topic we had. It was, it was different. Not really going over something that's out there. Like We talked about something ourselves, which I really enjoyed, and especially about something that we both really want to see in this game and so far i have not been disappointed in this game i I thoroughly love it so i know that when they make housing they'll do it right you can contact me thais in game at tear eater which is t-e-a-r-e-a-t-e-r awesome 
Well, I want to thank my co-host for joining me this evening. I, I did enjoy the show. I liked going over the housing. Like, uh, and I, I've been playing around um, a little bit with other games that do not even compare to what ESO is in terms of quality, I feel. But what really spawned on the housing was one of the games that is coming out has this housing. And I really think that ESO could use a type of I'll say sandboxy feature that people can dig into, and that's why I really wanted to go over housing because that's the one thing that in this game that, as of now, I feel like if they added that, I would just it would just be awesome. So yeah, exactly. Um, they definitely need to add some sort of sandboxy type feature. I don't like sandbox games a hundred percent because generally, I find them boring after the initial wave. But to have elements in in their games that are sandboxy, allow people to create, will definitely give things for people to do, and they will adore it. And housing is one that I can tell you, I've spent hours in Hearthfire dealing with their pre, you know, just arranging my house in different ways. So if they could make it so housing, like you can literally move furniture around and and stuff like that, I could spend hours in that alone. So that's what I'm really hoping they do. I hope they look at some other games, like particularly, I want them to look at Shroud of the Avatar, like Zenimax. If you, I'm sure most of you guys probably have seen it. It's kind of one of those things, but you should go look, see how they're doing their housing, and and take some uh, take some notes because just judging from how they're designing it, it looks amazing, and I would love to see that kind of in-depth house creation within Elder Scrolls Online. I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. If you wish to help support the podcast, feel free to donate via the PayPal link on our website. If you wish to contact us with questions, comments, criticisms, the website for our show is talesoftamriel.com, or you can email the show at podcast at talesoftamriel.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Tales of Tamriel or on Facebook at facebook.com slash tales of tamriel podcast also feel free to rate and subscribe to us via itunes that helps us out a lot guys we really love that thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode of tales of tamriel everyone have a great evening